Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. In an era of online retail where everything is just a few clicks away, buying a car should be no different. That's why at Carvana, you can buy a car 100% online. We made it easy to browse, view, and buy from over 10,000 cars. You can even trade in your old car, all while binge-watching your favorite TV show. Afterwards, we'll deliver your car to you. Or you can pick it up from one of our car vending machines. Either way, your car comes with a seven-day return policy. So grab a seat, relax in your comfy pants, and enjoy the new way to buy a car at Carvana. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one two three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to The Witching Hour. I'm Haley Fouch, and as you may notice, Miss Perry is out today traveling the world with all her glamour. Uh, so I have the lovely Mr. Donato joining me today. Thank Sephora. you for having me back, and I will do my best to fill in for Perry. You do wonderful. You're, you're becoming like our go-to. One of us is out of town. I was going to say, Bring I like Donato. having this rotation where I get one of you guys at all times, so yeah. I'm, I'm okay with this. Yay. And uh, we got fun stuff to talk about today. Do we? I think we do. Okay. Well, we'll see. Just checking. <laughs> I was we'll like, see. Not anything about it. It, it could uh, be not that fun at the same time, but we'll true, see. True, true. Uh, we got the new Candyman trailer. Got a little bit of fun news. Yep. And, of course, like the horror topic of the week, The Invisible Man. We're going to give you some non-spoiler thoughts on it real quick since, uh, you know, we have a full review up on the channel, but Donato and I have not shared our thoughts, so we're going to give you those. But then we're going to... Throw up a big spoiler warning, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about that film. Yeah, a lot a lot to talk about. There is a lot. There's a lot to talk about, about especially at that ending that we'll get to eventually. Exactly. Um, But for now, you're safe. Spoilers are safely stowed away, and we're gonna talk about the Candyman trailer. So, Mm -hmm. hit me with your thoughts. What's your first first reaction? I am very into everything it is laying down. Um, I'm hoping I'm not hyping it up too much in my head, but what I like about it is we've seen a trailer that doesn't exactly paint what the film is. I don't know whether he's an imitator. I don't know whether it's a possession film. I don't know how Tony Todd's going to play in. Maybe it's going to be just the narration. Maybe it's going to be that reflection that, um, our main character sees in, in the mirror or a car window or stuff like that. So I haven't quite figured out what they've done and how they're going to do a continuation. And that makes me very excited. I like that too. And um, I'm so glad that, you know, I think that one of the initial reactions was you can't replace Tony Todd. And you hear that a lot with these remakes, but really he's one of the most difficult to replace with that voice and that presence. And he's so theatrically trained and commanding. So we don't know what they're doing, but it does seem that they found a way to keep him involved in the character to some extent, and that means a lot. I mean, I just watched the Nightmare on Elm Street remake yesterday. Yeah, and that's a perfect point because you talk about these horror icons that can't really be replaced, and the actor is so tied to the character. Yeah. And obviously Robert England playing Freddy, that's a big one. And we saw how that turned out when they went with Jackie Earl Haley, who didn't really do a terrible job himself. 
but what he was given and how the film turned out, you could just tell, like, even with England, that would have been a better film. It just would, it didn't feel like Freddy. So, exactly. Candyman, a huge thing. That's Tony Todd. But again, as you've said, now you have this continuation and this generational gap that actually fits in with the story, and they found a way to do that, I think. We think. We, we think. Know. Exactly. This is all we think. We don't. No spoilers here, obviously, because we haven't seen the film, yeah. so we can't spoil anything, and this is all speculation. Um, that's so, I mean, Jackie Earl Haley really did his best, and I think his performance is the best thing going for that film. Well, well was that your first time watching it? Yeah, it was. Ooh. I avoided that. That Ooh. was. Bef- I was still a wee Poor little Peter. lad who wasn't writing about horror movies and stuff Are like you that. okay? N- I need an adult. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if the choices they made were the right ones in that film. Also, just dreadfully boring. And I think I saw you say this on Twitter, like, what a cast to squander. Like, you look ensemble. through it, and it's the Twilight thing, where it's, like, all these young actors who you look back now and, like, wow, they went on to do great things. And, I mean, Nightmare was kind of the same thing. Like, you're talking about, like, Rooney Mara. I mean, Kellen Lutz, like, is even one of the lower names on the list. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, like, again, just we don't need to talk about Nightmare. Like, <laughs> there's no reason to talk about it. I'm that you it's, just saw it for the first again, time. Again, I avoided it. I wanted nothing to do with it. And then it hit Netflix, and it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm working from home. Like, I got yeah. the time to kill. And it really did kill time. It, it just made time <laughs> seem like forever. Massive. It destroyed time. I uh, That was one that I was like, I will never watch this again. I hate it so much. Uh, and I never say I hate movies, but I, I truly dislike that film. And I, uh, it's one of the, maybe my favorite, second favorite horror franchise. I don't know. Wes Craven does it for me. Scream or that. But I had to do a ranking list a few years ago for the site, so I had to rewatch it. And just agony, man. Agony. The makeup looks so bad. I, he doesn't have a neck. <laughs> Freddy without a freaking neck. But anyway, Candyman. Candyman. <laughs> we were talking about Candyman. It's hopefully not going to be like that. I and it's, don't think it will. It also, really, those those reds, those, those that reds, reds. I was gonna say it looks like Nia DaCosta is directing the hell out of it. Um, Again, Nia DaCosta. Yes, Nia DaCosta. Yes. Jordan Peele produced and co-wrote. Nia DaCosta directed. I get the SEO need. I get it. Totally. But at least say produced by in the yeah. headline. Like I'm, I'm getting a little whatever about these headlines that are like Jordan Peele's Candyman. Yeah, I mean it's not. So it's, that's par for the course. Like it this is, happens it a is. lot. If Quentin Tarantino produces something, they're right. going to say that. If um, you know Guillermo produces something, they're going to say that. It does. I do think there's like a slightly different element of it because it is a woman of color directing, and we really need to like not erase that fact and hold it up a little bit because it doesn't happen in horror very often. And it's like you know, I guess the argument is like we have a man of color, it, like that's yeah. Jordan Peele. But I, again, that that's the biggest thing here. And I think um, Ashley Blackwell said yesterday, this is the first time a woman of color is directing a mainstream big budget horror, like not big budget, but like big studio horror film. Like that needs to be celebrated. Yeah, I, I you know, film Twitter stepped in pretty quickly. Yeah, a hundred percent. Every <laughs> single person. I love the people that were doing Nia DaCosta five times. And then she retweeted one time and she's like, it worked. And I was like, you win. You win the internet for the day. Congratulations. Sabina's tweet too. Yes, that was Sabina's. You are right. Lovely. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, and I'm very excited to see what she does with it. I'm, yes, the reds and your shirt is, the brand remains so strong. Remains on strong. That's it. The Maddie D brand On fleek. Oh, no. I may be writing about the reds too. Oh, of course you are. I am. Uh, I also did you watch Watchmen? You didn't. I, know I did this. not. I did not watch okay. the Watchmen show. Um, 
Mr. Yaya Abdul yes. II has quite a role in that show mm-hmm. that's impossible to talk about without spoiling the series, but he has to. I, I know the role. Okay. I, I'm on Twitter. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. People weren't yeah, shy. Yeah, no, they were not right. shy they about that. They just blasted that everywhere. Yeah. Um, dicks everywhere. So a lot of dick for not seeing the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, like, having seen him have to take on a challenge like that and knowing what a challenge it will be to whatever sort of amalgam of the Candyman character he seems to be playing, yeah, I feel, like, more reaffirmed that that's going to work out because, once again, that was, like, an extremely iconic character with such a heavy load to bear for a performer of, of expectation and nostalgia and things like that. That I, not only is he, like, the perfect voice physicality to play that role but i know that he can handle like the pressure of that kind of we need you to do these things to live up to our expectations while also making it your own and i love the shot when he looks in the mirror and he just sees like Candyman staring back at him and it's the whole you know i am me but Candyman is in the mirror and who is what and then you get those shots during the trailer where it's the victims and no one's there like like there's an invisible force like attacking them but then you also cut back and you see Candyman there later. So, I don't, like, I don't know if this is a thing where he's going to be seeing one thing in his head and reality's the other, and they're going to try to play that as like some freaky combo. That's it, so it, many mysteries. Yeah, there's exactly, and that's why I said I love the trailer. There's no point in dissecting it because we're going to find out when the movie I comes out. I'm kind happening. of, I'm kind of hoping. I don't think it'll happen, but I'm hoping because I'm going to South by, and they haven't announced closing night yet. And it's a real light genre lineup this uh, year. Very light. Yeah, Compared to last that. year, mm-hmm. that had what like Pet Cemetery, Us, uh, had like th- uh, Curse of La Llorona. And the year before had Quiet, Quiet Place, Place, and that was the opener and stuff right. like that. Yeah, so it's been very light genre wise. And the only other things are like a Quiet Place too, but I that's coming out literally like a, a week after right, or something like that, which is their mo. Their mo is usually oh, will open with this film and it comes out like the week after. But it, that wouldn't make a good surprise, right? No, not It'd at all. I I think surprise. that's why I don't think it'll be a quiet place yeah. too anymore. But yeah, I'm I'm fingers crossed somehow that it is. That'd be amazing, Candyman. Also, you know, it is definitely got that Jordan Peele touch in the writing oh. of it has a lot to say. Very, you know, the trailer is not subtle with, like, who would do that? Five white women would do that. Yep. Um, the gentrification of the neighborhood, all of that is is giving it layers that for many, many years, like, film historians and horror writers have been like, this was a movie that exploited black trauma for white characters. So I'm very excited to see that uh, turned around in the way that it, it maybe should have always been. And, you know, credit to Clive Barker, who is, of course, a white man and wrote a wonderful story. But And Bernard Rose, too, again, you know, yeah, oh, a white totally. director. And, like, you know, they were able to do it. Um, and, again, what I, what I respect about Jordan Peele tremendously, and I, I wrote about this, is he's not, you know, he makes Get Out and he becomes that voice and he becomes kind of the beacon for a turning point in horror and especially, like, people of color and stuff like that in horror. And... He hasn't taken that and run by himself. Mm-mm. He has created a production company, and he is giving the, his voice, and he is giving that same voice and urgency to as many directors and creators as he can. And that's really exciting. That's especially what I love about Candyman because, yeah, he could have directed this easily. Oh, yeah. He could have stepped in and been like, yeah, no, I'll take this. This is fine. But, no, he's 
chosen to step back and say, like, let's get some more people doing this. We talk about that a lot in here, like the filmmakers who make it a point to lift people up and share the love. And Mm -hmm. you genuinely love to see it. Always. Um, My brain just did a little leapsy because, you know, he did produce and host the new Twilight Zone. And we have the new Amazing Stories. And along the lines of the, like, crediting producers in the headlines, I can't imagine how many people are going to watch Amazing Story based on all the headlines that are like Steven Spielberg's Amazing right. Stories and be like, wait, he didn't he didn't direct this shit. No, he did not. Yeah. <laughs> You'll find out very quickly yeah, he did exactly. not direct this shit. <laughs> uh, side note, but I, I am interested. You know, okay, side tangent, but we take for granted that so many people think of film and media the way that we do because we're so immersed in it, and mm-hmm. that's simply not the fact. Perry and I recently discussed the Spiral trailer, and I realized seeing it in the theater last night, what I hadn't noticed before, because again, I, we're so immersed and we know exactly what that is. If you don't know that movie's coming, if you don't know there's a Chris Rock Saw movie, you wouldn't know for most of that trailer what the heck it is. It has to sell itself on its own merit. Uh, and I was sitting in the theater last night wondering, like, how many of the people sitting around me understand what this is going to be by the end of the trailer, which I hadn't realized before. Um, and that's just a side note about how we need to consider that, like, most people don't think about movies the way we do. Yeah, no, or as often as we do, or yeah. keep up with the news like we do. I mean, we are a special breed. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, I looked at a, a lot of the tweets yesterday being like, I know Nia DaCosta is directing this. Like, do we really need to belabor this and keep hitting that point home? And then I saw the other tweets that made me realize, yeah, we do. Again, because the general public, if they start seeing things positioned like Jordan Peele's Candyman, that's exactly what they're going to think because they are not immersed in this like we are. Like we've known about this for how long on the casting and, you know, the, yeah. the all the pulling together. Speculating. Exactly. Okay. So we've been doing this for way longer than people even knew the film was a thing. Yeah, it, that's important. I think it's important that we get in our own heads. We're film critics. We live this world. We breathe it. But not everyone is obsessed and crazy as we are. I will never forget. This was like deep into the MCU. Um, Low-key was for sure a thing. Okay. And I was at the time a manager at a hair salon, and I mentioned something about Tom Hiddleston, and no one who worked there knew who he was at all. And that was a real eye-opener for me. Yeah, no. We we are a special kind of person. <laughs> I mean, and he was legit famous by that point, too. It wasn't like the first Thor film. We're talking oh. like post-Avengers. Yeah. It was, I'm like, all right. All right, I'll remember this when I write. Well, that was even like... I mean, how much do we know about the hunt and how much do we know about all the marketing behind that and the way that it got buried? And, like, we know that whole story. And, yet I saw it last night and I went to one of my friends. Like, they asked me to do something. I'm like, ah, I can't. I'm actually going to see the hunt. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, what are you talking about? What What is the hunt? <laughs> and, I'm just, like, I sat there going, like, oh, my God, there is a world where people don't know anything yeah. about this film and somehow avoided all of that. So that's interesting because that was also one of the trailers that played last night. And you know how the new trailer is like the most talked about movie of the year, blah, 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 blah. There's very much a sense in the theater of people. Again, I told you before, I think that they were pretty vocal in that auditorium. They were like, what? And then at the end of the trailer, (laughs) I think maybe because it had hyped itself up so much, two different groups. There was a group of young women and a group of young men behind me. They both at the same time go, I don't know. Which was, I was like, I don't know, I don't know. That's like, it's, maybe you shouldn't think that everyone, that one did get on a national scale. It did, I mean, it, yeah, this is true. It got don't, the bump that it cart ahead needed. that horse, yeah. <laughs> no, I know, yeah, and I mean, they really went full force into that. I mean, I, I actually question if 
the movie got pulled uh, or if they looked at the marketing that they could go with and said, wow, we have an opportunity here. Let's take it. Well, that's I, very interesting. I, I, I don't know. Obviously, right, right, I'm not right. saying anything. No, but speculation. Because after watching the film, I'm like, what were they worried about? Mm. It, you know. Well, probably the actual president of the United States turning it into a political factor. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's a political yeah. film. It's, anyway, yeah, exactly. you got to see it last night, and right. you can't review, but you can no, give, like, social-style thoughts. So let's, Social-style let's thoughts. Uh, Betty Gilpin, I just want more of whatever she's doing in this movie. Nice. Freaking amazing. It is, thankfully, the movie that I wanted it to be, in that it's kind of just, like, scorched-earth satire. There is no taking sides. If you live in America, there will be at least 20 times you look and laugh at yourself. <laughs> And it's meant to be laughed at. That's the biggest thing. This is not – it is a political film, but it's not trying to drive home a soapbox message. It is just laughing at all of us at the same time. And I really like that. It's pitch black. It's gruesome. There's some really, really good effects and kills. And that is where – like, that's all I can really say about it. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. I'm into it. I I love – I never watched Lost, so I missed the part where everyone was mad at him. I love Damon Lindelof's writing and – can't can't wait to see what he, you know. We saw the serious version of what he thinks about today's America in yes. Watchmen. I'd like to see the satire version now. Yeah, the satire version is if you've been on Twitter, <laughs> you, you know the satire version. Oh, and that man does not like Twitter. No, he does. That's fair enough. Trust me. No, he does not. <laughs> <laughs> Who would? Um, and not to to uh, erase Nick Cues, who co-wrote the film. But I, I know less about his work, so yes, no, I, I don't have strong exactly. Yeah, on no, that. the Lindelof name takes over. It's, yeah, totally. It, it just These happens. names, they get well known and they do take over. We're SEOing ourselves on a podcast. <laughs> oh God, I can't, I can't. I'll go into a whole <laughs> side rant about algorithmic determinism and how we're all. Slaves and that's to for the a diff- that's for a different podcast. I know, I know. <laughs> we're on the horror podcast when, right now, not the data analytics. Be like a really good tech horror where I can fully do my rant about why I'm like so terrified of algorithms. Countdown. Uh, today's not that. About countdown. Countdown. I mean, it's not good. I'm just kidding. That wasn't but... a movie about no, algorithms. No, that was No, that was about apps and, yeah. and data. And all right, I, yeah, was yeah. it even data? Was it no, really it, about it, data? It wasn't. It was no, about nothing. It was about nothing. I didn't hate that movie as a lot of, as much as a lot of people did. Oh, I did. It, it didn't excel at what it tried to do. I'll say I hated it. <laughs> you, yeah, did I, not like it. I tried to reserve the uh, H word for things like the um, remake of um, Nightmare on Elm Street because true, it's truly, truly that's fair. Work. I am I'm happy the hunt is what it is because yeah. I just saw Fantasy Island before that oh. and it was a nice little bum house, uh, Blumhouse bump. Yes, and yeah, I needed that. Yeah, <laughs> I needed that. Um, they needed it. Yeah. Well, they, no, and they're going to uh, do with that. That money Invisible Man. Fine. This is going to their their years coming back around. There was like a tweet that I I'm curious to see what Invisible Man makes. Yeah. Because someone said the last three attempts at creating a dark universe. So you took look at that Mummy, Dracula Untold, and I think the Wolfman. They all had big studio budgets, yeah. and they all topped out at thirty million. Two of them only did about twenty million. I think Wolfman or maybe Cruz. With the mummy got like thirty, but if the Invisible Man can get close to that or anywhere close to that on a Blumhouse budget, yeah. that's going to be such a huge success huge for win. Universal. It's going to be crazy. I think it will. The you 
never know. Like my screening last night wasn't jam packed, but for a Thursday at seven yeah. on a on an original horror film. I know and it's not original, it's IP, but like um it did one point six, I think, came out. Okay, so it did one point six last night. And mine mine wasn't full, but it I also just as a side note, it's really good to like step away from the industry screenings and just be like, Oh, these are my people. The people who come at Thursday at seven to see the new horror movie, it like touched my heart a little bit. And there were I would say it was like half full, which I think is pretty good for a movie on this level. That's, um, you know, it's not a sequel to a horror film that already did really well. And as you said, the last few attempts at bringing back the classic monsters really didn't do so well. Um, and the crowd, aside from the teenage girls who just super weren't feeling it and left before it gets really good, they bounced. Um, totally fine. That, honestly, the theater's better for that. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Everyone else was in it. Um, we'll get to that in a sec. Right. One last thing we wanted to hit in the news, just as a little funsies, a little fun update. Um, thank you for flagging this. Mr. Chris Evans joining. Are you kidding me? Is it confirmed? I just want to make sure. Is it confirmed? That's a really great point. I've I been know. i the last few days, so I just saw the tweet. Yeah, I, I want to do the same thing as you. I know it was talked about. I know it was put out there. And he even tweeted it. He, he, t- he tweeted about it himself. So, I, I mean. Okay, he's in talks. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. in talks. But, again, he's tweeting it. He's putting a little uh, tooth emoji, I think. He, like, did the news and he quote tweeted with a tooth emoji. So, And I believe he um, – It sorry, I did not say what we're talking about. Chris Evans in talks to join Little Shop of Horrors remake. Um, boop, boop, boop. He had mentioned something about it, to, like unrelated, I think, a while ago in an interview because he's like a super big theater nerd. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I love that for him. I mean, okay. I actually have a couple next to Well, I was going to say, does he 100% fit the character? No. No, he doesn't. That's <laughs> the, that's the, the biggest thing. Right. The character. Exactly. Um, but this is not new. This is like the, if you are a theater nerd, the the hotification of Seymour is something that's talked about a lot. Okay, they do this on Broadway a lot. He's no longer played by nerd types. He's played by strapping beautiful men with glasses on. Um, so like it's not Chris Evans' fault. <laughs> no, not at all. And I mean, it's nothing is Chris Evans. Fault. Also, you're getting people in seats. I mean, that's yeah. the other thing too. You know, how are we going to get people to turn out for a Little Shop of Horrors right. remake? Well, let's get a cast that absolutely kills it and names that they're known for and. You know, on Evans's trajectory at this point, now post MCU, let him get weird. You know, like let him have these kind of roles and let him kind of feel himself in the way that maybe like Elijah Wood did, mm. where he did Lord of the Rings and now he's become like a genre kid or genre man. You know, yeah. he's like well into doing stuff like Come to Daddy and all these crazy horror movies. So I'm into Evans taking that swing because too. early Evans, even going back to like Scott Pilgrim. I mean, he's not playing a good guy there. Like, no. Lucas Lee he's is... so fun. It, and he's it, so great at it. That's yes. why. I want to see more of that. Evans. I agree. And I was talking about this with someone recently, but he needs to stay away from Captain America type roles because you can't help but see him when he plays the leading man type yeah. as that character. He has a new show coming up called Defending Jacob that I saw the first two episodes of and am deeply under embargo and cannot give any thoughts on the show itself. But I will say it's hard to see him play this man fighting for something he really believes in and not have your mind go to that direction. Whereas, give him, make him an asshole, do Knives Out, and then he owns it entirely. He's really good at playing assholes. And I'm sure he's bored with playing yeah. the other part. And not bored, I should, maybe that's not right, the right word, but you've done this character, the wholesome 
the all-American hero for so long. Yes. As an actor, you got to be able to want to do it. It's Daniel Craig. It's him now getting to do just like Knives mm-hmm. Out, you know. He's been Bond for so long. It's like, yeah, let me go do Logan Lucky. Let me go do Knives Out. And Give like, me a southern accent. And people even like interviewing him. I forget who I was talking to, but they were kind of like at a junket for uh, Knives Out. And they were like, I've interviewed Craig a lot. And sorry, not me. This is the person saying yeah, that. They're yeah. like, I've interviewed Craig a lot. And he's usually quieter and more serious and, you know. It's it's a whatever interview. And they were like, Knives Out, he was a blast. He had yeah. energy. He was colorful. And they were like, I think him getting away from Bond is going to be really good for him. I can see that. Absolutely. You you get tired. Evans has been vocal about how tired he was in the grind. And in yep. the, it's a grind. It's 100%. A yeah. Physically, mentally, workload, press load. Yeah, the press load especially. Yeah. Um, don't want to run out of time. Yeah, no, and go. It's way too easy Move. for us to talk for a really long. I'm go. like, holy shit, it's Move been on. 25 minutes. Move on. Um, let's talk about Invisible Man. We're going to do two things here. Uh, we're going to give our quick non-spoiler slots, and then my dear friend here put together a lovely list curated that he he asked a bunch of film writers to sort of give their thoughts on who should direct future adaptations of the classic monsters should Invisible Man do well, which I think it will. And we're going to look at that, see if we still feel the same way. I genuinely don't even remember who I picked, so this should be fun. Uh, I, was gonna, I looked it over a little bit just yeah. to see where we all stood, and especially, like, you know, Invisible Man was one of them. So it was, Oh, it was. I, I think it was. Oh, man, this I'm has been so... pretty sure. Why does it feel like February of 2019 was six years ago? Because what it was. The heck? Because that's how time that's works. That's when this was published. All right, real quick, give me your your, your thoughts, your thinky thoughts. Um, I liked it. I liked it a good amount. I can't say I 100% loved it. My biggest issues were more along the lines of it's hard to talk about and not sound bad in a little way. Like, I'm, Obviously, like this story is important, yeah. but it's also handled in the way that we've kind of seen before. Minus the Invisible Man angle, I think what um, Elizabeth Moss's character goes through, some of them are just generic beats. And I would have liked to see something a little different. Again, I'm just trying to be so not spoilery, and it's hard. Um, I just don't think it goes for it in certain moments. And the traumatic beats, we've seen kind of a bunch of times. I think that's the only thing holding it back. But then I got away from it a little bit. And the more I thought about the ending, the more I thought about how both Elizabeth Moss and Lee Wenell weaponize blank space and make you afraid of what's right there, but you still can't even see it. Like, you're just blind to it, and it's in front of you. I, it just gets better and better the more I think about it, and that's a lot to digest. It is so good on a technical accomplishment level. Yes, absolutely um, that. I'm kind of in the same boat, maybe for slightly different reasons, but it seems similar like Yeah, I, mean, I was just trying to like just I like I didn't want to say the wrong thing and like no. invalidate it because obviously it's a very valid story. Totally. Yeah. Um I it is a very valid story and there's something inherently genius in using the invisible man to tell that story. It's the perfect character to tell a story about abuse and gaslighting and not believing women who are asking for help. Um it is I think in certain ways that we'll discuss when the spoiler load is off, um, not 100% coherent in how it approaches those things. 
Uh, and I know that Lee Winnell did a lot of research and talked to a lot of women and survivors. And, um, you know, he did the legwork to make it fit. But I do also think that, like, from a woman's perspective, that might have played a little differently. Uh, that said, again, on a technical accomplishment level, the, uh, you said it perfectly, the weaponizing of empty space. I don't think I've seen anyone pull that off the way this film does. I haven't had my jaw put on the ground at a particular moment since Hereditary in the way that it was. Um, I it, this, The scares are there. The tension is there. The performance is obviously there. It's Elizabeth Moss, whatever we know. Uh, and I, I'm very, very impressed by the film. I'm very impressed by seeing... Lee Winnell continued to establish his voice. I think that while I understand why it happened, because that was his in, right? Like, I think making his first film in an insidious film didn't show us the best of him because he was required to play by James Wan's stylistic handbook. And in his last two films, we have seen what his stylistic handbook looks like. And it's so different and so cool. Uh, I'm, I'm very obsessed with the way he uses space, um, the way he uses motion. And I think that his career is just, for someone who already has such a, had an such exciting a career, just like at the start of how exciting it's going to get. And I mean, that the biggest thing for me was after Upgrade, you know, his first film that he worked with Blumhouse on, yeah. I was like, I don't know who I like more at this point, Lee Winnell the director or Lee Winnell the writer, because we all knew him as the writer to that point and the actor randomly appearing and everything. Yeah. But... His directing sense is so confident, and he is able to take these lower-budget films and make – obviously, they are not big studio films with big studio budgets. Blumhouse doesn't do that. But these films look better than the comparison points that you can take from any studio that gave it $20 million more dollars. And that is coming from a director who knows exactly what he wants – Again, the blank space and weaponizing that and the production value on these films is through the roof. He's got an eye. Exactly. He has an eye for exactly what he wants to make, and that's what's most impressive about him. I mean, you know, he's made two films now that are very sci-fi heavy, and I would give him any sci-fi property at this point and let him run with it because his eye for that kind of genre filmmaking, it's becoming unparalleled. It's really – I like – I can't even think of which franchise I'd most want to see him. I mean, it's been said, but Escape from New York. Give him Escape from New York. That'd be really good. That'd be really good. Because the other thing, too, uh, just really quickly, um, in Invisible Man, to me, you know, he kind of took Paranormal Activity, and he took pieces of Upgrade, and he took the Invisible Man, and he put them together, and it was genius in the way he did that because. I mean, some of those shots are straight from Paranormal. Thank like, you. Like, no one else, I haven't heard anyone else say this, and I was thinking it the whole freaking movie. I, I put it in my I review, like, and no crazy? one, exactly, yeah. No, 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 that was Paranormal Activity. Like, one of the things I tweeted out the minute I saw it was, you know, Lee Winnell takes from so many Blumhouse films. Lee in particular. Right, exactly. He takes specifically from Blumhouse, but he takes the best parts of them, yeah. and that's what became The Invisible Man. It's genius. It's, yeah. It is genius in the way he did that, because that's the full modernization. That is the full, not only have you taken the Invisible Man and taken him into the technology realms, because, yeah, sure, that's the new age way of doing a remake, but he actually took films that are relevant in the modern era, and he took films that have defined horror in the modern era. And, I mean, maybe Upgrade didn't define anything, but... Yet, the, it will. I, it will. I, I, I will fight you on that, because it is... <laughs> sorry, I won't fight you. I'll fight, fight with, with you on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, because even the action scenes, you're like... I've seen this in Upgrade, and now it's getting better somehow. 
Uh, yeah, I'm very well, on board. That's a very good point. Um, he is he's embracing cinematic language from the last two decades in a in in a very effective way. And it shows that he's just paying attention. Yeah, you know, he's not just going through the motions here. Awesome. Brilliant. All right, so so yeah. We, uh, do you want to dive into this? I do. Okay. I'm so curious. I'm just going to scroll down and see what I said. Yeah, so this is like, the list that I put together just to give people a background. It was right after when L got announced. And you're right. It was right after that, so we didn't do The Invisible Man because okay. we already knew Lee L was doing that. But, yeah, I sat down with uh, my editor at Slashfilm and was kind of like, I want to do something a little fun here. It's not just going to be me. I'm like, I want to ask all my horror journalist friends, can we do a little fan casting? And, like, Jacob was so into it, Jacob Hall. So, yeah, we put together this little list, and I asked, like, you, Matt Barone, Ariel Fisher, you know, just going down the list, all people I trust, John Barkhan. And, yeah, so it would. I mean, that's my first list. <laughs> I'm already really Good. happy with myself. Okay, so, you're, so we're starting with Frankenstein. Yeah. Okay, your answer. My answer was Damien Chazelle, and I immediately okay. know why I said that, because he nobody does the story of the pursuit of genius and perfection quite like he does. And um, he's a very kinetic filmmaker. He is gives his characters such rich internal lives, which Frankenstein definitely needs. Um, but it is—it's definitely that I haven't read my blurb yet. But that 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 pursuit of perfectionism of of changing the game in your field—I know immediately why I picked him. And also, I see my other dream scenario: Michael Shannon as the monster. And you know what? I still stand by that too. That would be a hell of a Frankenstein. <laughs> right? It would be very energetic. You're right. That would be a thing. I went with Ben Wheatley. Nice. Because I feel like his films deal with classism so well, going like with High Rise and stuff like that. He always has this level of society and the monster going on anyway. So I think that would play really well into it. Um, and also, he's really good at making a monster. Yeah. You go back and watch things like Kill This and even like Sightseers. He's able to take, I love sightseers too, but he's able to take these seemingly normal scenarios and just get nasty with them. So I really want to see his Frankenstein. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, and that would be a weird Frankenstein. It would be so weird, and I'd be <laughs> so like into Giselle's it. Giselle's would be a lot more classic, like yeah. the way La La Land was Absolutely. very much a love letter to the films of those era. But that that would be a totally unpredictable Frankenstein. Yep, yep, that's what I want. With I, a third act where I'd be like, "What is happening?" Chaotic now? energy. Yes. I'm all about that. <laughs> I don't want to know what I'm about to see. Absolutely. All right, Bride of Frankenstein. You lead this time. I am so into Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead doing that because of the way that they are able to deal with emotionality and even romance in horror, and still have the ugly beats, but not ignore the fact that. There could be some kind of love. And, I mean, I know the Bride of Frankenstein film itself isn't really necessarily about romance and love. Yeah. Like, you know, they are monsters. Well, and the Invisible Man wasn't about abuse. Right. right, exactly, exactly. But I think with the way they write narratives and the way they write characters and being given two monsters at this point to write about but also intertwine their lives in a way that gets complicated, mm. that's I think they would nail that. I like that a lot. I see that definitely, the spring element I, Exactly. There. Just thinking about spring. just yeah. th And even thinking about like the endless, the though. Endless. The way they ponder life mm -hmm. and the grander things. Yeah. It would play so well into these monsters, not knowing who they are, what they represent. and Dreamlet. I love it. I really do. I like that a lot. I hadn't thought about like the sort of, um, in both spring and endless, that interplay between two characters who love each other but don't understand each other. Mm -hmm. That's pretty smart. Pretty smart guy. Sometimes I can, yeah. I can be. 
Um, what about I, you? I picked Karen Kusama, and I'll stand by that too. Um, and I'm, I'm, I just looked at my blurb. In a recent interview, Karen Kusama said the core theme that unites most of her movie characters is that they ask themselves, do I want to be alive right now? Which is a very good, <laughs> you know, that's what the bride's all about. And uh, yeah, I see that. I see that. I do like the idea of a, a fil female filmmaker being on that one. Um, not that movies should be determined yep. by the gender of the filmmaker. Agreed. But I, I could see the value in that. The way that I'm sure we're about to speak about uh, the value of maybe having more of a female handprint on. I didn't mean to be cute with handprint on Invisible. Aww. Invisible. Aww. I made a thing. The trailer shot that wasn't even in the movie. Not in the movie. Brilliant. But it is a wonderful marketing image, so I get why. No, they it is, it. and it's great that they put it in the trailer and not the movie too. And it's also. Uh, you didn't see everything in the trailer. It was really cute what they did with the hashtag emoji. Yes. They could only see it in dark mode. Uh huh. Clever. Uh, yeah, I stand by that, and I love Karen Kusama, and I just want her to make as many movies as possible. So how about that? How about that world? Yep, no, take it. More Karen Kusama films. She was in here once, and it was like, just talk all the time. Just you genius. keep speaking. Yeah, just exactly. let the world know what they should know. And we have now The Wolfman. Do you want to go first? Let's, you see. Let's see. Let's see what I did. Who to pick? Who'd you pick? Who did I pick? I'm scrolling. Oh, I see it. Yeah, Julia DeCourneau. Um, going off the raw vibes, fleshy. Yep, fleshy features. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yep, that's even what I said. Fleshy frights. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be honest. The Wolfman's not my dude. It's not that I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I just don't have any emotional attachment to it. And I, you know, there's so many variations on the wolf mythology. Anyway, the wolf man mythology. Wolf man. The wolf man. That I don't have a. I don't have a lot of horses in this race. So let's let's hear your thoughts. I mean, we already have the best modern Wolfman in Wolf Cop, so I don't know why we'd have to make <laughs> another one. But the easy answer here is Neil Marshall, not what I picked, because Dog oh, Soldiers sure, is totally. straight up one of my favorite horror movies ever. I can watch that any day, anytime. Without question, one of the top werewolf movies. Absolutely. And it's shocking how few good werewolf movies there yeah, are. Yeah, no, 100%. But my actual answer was David Bruckner. Oh, and yeah. I believe that because in The Ritual, he does such good creature work and... I mean, that's kind of what I'm – honestly, that's what I'm going on. He's really good at dark, gritty films. He can take that Wolfman and the transformation stuff and really just go all out with it. And I just like his sensibility about it. He hasn't done many films, but his work, like, you know, on Southbound and, again, The Ritual and doing all that stuff, I think it would be a very primal Wolfman, yeah. and I'm very okay with that. I think the Wolfman in particular needs a thematic hook because it is such a – based on such a – prolific myth throughout you know all yeah. kinds of societies and has been such a so imprinted into our psyche in various film adaptations most of which aren't very good no. um although i do like the new wolfman i think it deserved better than it got um i it needs to that transformation really needs to mean something yeah in the way that uh, not to like pat myself on the back, but like in the way that the cannibal transformation and Raw really meant something to that character. Mm -hmm. um, this has to be tied into something. And it's one of like the most famous queer allegories is the like the shedding of the skin and the, the need to consume something lustfully and, but you oh, can't. Yeah. Society tells you no and so you have to do it at night at the dark of the moon. Uh, so that's, there's certainly a lot to tap into there, but I would love to be even more surprised by that because that is such a well-known 
part of that. Yeah, and that's why a lot of them fail, I think, because a lot of the failure werewolf films are because they just make a beast. Here is a beast, right. and that's what it is, and there's nothing else to it. And you're like, well, what am I biting into here? Yeah. You know, what am I actually grappling with? Yeah, it needs it needs a it, it needs a some meat on its bones. Meat on its bones. Fleshy. <laughs> <laughs> you're really just sticking with that. Okay, yeah. Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera. You go. Agnieszka Smokczenska. I just wanted to see you handle it. Nice. I, I got it. Well, I actually, I forget what movie talk it was, but <laughs> for like five minutes, Perry's trying to like watch a movie and I'm just replaying the clip over and over again so I can pronounce it right. I'm like, I just want to say it right. I just want to say it right. Uh, but yes, the director of The Lore. Which owns. Which is fucking amazing. Fuck that. More than owns. Uh, she should be directing Phantom of the Opera because I know we have Phantom of the Paradise already. But her vision for this kind of musical would just be straight like Euro trash yeah. and like synthy <laughs> and fun. covered in glitter and really just outrageous. Yeah. And that's all I want. She's proven she could do musicals already. She knows she's done a cannibal mermaid horror musical. Yes. Yeah. Hand her Phantom of the Opera and let it be some like pop culture riff even and go really nasty. I that's what I want. I, I think want I that. remember what I chose for this. And I I'll tell you if you're right. Several people chose it. Go ahead. Which is Mike Flanagan. Yes, you are correct. Anya did it. Ar- Anya Stanley, Ariel Fisher. Oh, I'm in such good company. And you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, because it's just such a freaking melancholic character who's like trapped in his trauma, and that is so Mike Flanagan, you know. Yeah. And and the the operatic. I I when I think of. A lot of Flanagan's work, I think of like draping velvet curtains and haunting a hill house yes, right there, and, yeah. And not even just haunting of hill house, like, um, which one just literally came out. Doctor Sleep Dr. has Sleep. that whole, um, especially when it goes back to the Overlook, that whole like grandeur, but sort of like decrepit grandeur, right? Dude, put Rebecca Ferguson in. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how. Like, make her the fan of even. Fan My of, God. I don't care. Just but put it was, her in anything. I think this one was really interesting to see everyone's picks because, yeah, there were some Flanagans. Somebody said Nicholas Winding Refn. Oh, somebody said Luca uh, Gardino. Oh, that's good. And it was just so funny because this one is so tied to your musical tastes. Yeah. And I feel like that's where people were drawn to the director. Like, yeah. where, what they would do. Like, Luca's Phantom would be so, I think that'd be even more operatic. Than what Flanagan would do. Right, that would be very. Flanagan would be like the mainstream, like Luca would be like the theater kid operatic kind of stuff. That'd be very like um, Euro. Yeah. Like, like old. Euro. And like Winding Reference would be like a rave or something. Totally. Like you're <laughs> just, just on drugs. Base. You're like, on fucking Not drugs. off base, but way uh, left field. Let's right, say. exactly. I don't yeah, play that, sports. I got my. You, you got it. You got stuff. it there. You're good. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a really interesting one. So then the next one is Count Dracula. Dracula. Uh uh-uh. uh. I um I don't remember. Let's see what I do. What I'll I start. Coralie, Far- how do you uh, pronounce? Farge. Farge, I think. The director of Revenge, because she yeah. has shown that she has no concept of how much blood is in the human body, and that would make <laughs> for a very entertaining vampire film. I love that. Uh, did you watch the new Dracula show? No, I did not. The BBC one. Yeah. I did not get to it. Starts off incredible. Not a fan of where it goes. That's ultimately. what everyone said. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but that definitely sort of scratched an itch for a certain type of Dracula, which okay. is very carnal and bloody. And, okay. Um, I think you would really enjoy 
enjoy the. And, first but episode. I think what uh, Coralie would do, even with it, is go with like a female Dracula immediately. Yeah. You know, we would get something that is. I mean, she's seen revenge. Color is so vivid, and it's such a part of the film. And I think this would be a really fun vampire movie to watch. Into it, I chose Jennifer Kent. I understand why I chose that. Um, would you change of it? Her use of uh, shadows and stuff and Babadook. Would I change it? I'm not sure. Because um, you just sounded very indecisive. You said, I know why I did. Having seen now The Nightingale, which had not come out mm-hmm. yet, I would like to see her pursue more, um, maybe less straight up horror avenues because I love the way she embraced that story, which is in some ways a horror story, but in many ways something else. Uh, I really like Evangelista's pick of Park Chan Wook. Wow, I really watched the shit. Well, that was Ariel. Uh, they, Ariel and John both took that one. Yeah, th- those were. I'm going to force us to speed up a little bit. Go. We have one left. Or oh. No, I think. One. Then we, we're fine. All right. Creature <laughs> of the Black Lagoon. Yes, Go. which is my personal favorite of the possible. Or I'll creatures. start. Fine. Nacho Vigalando. Oh, I love that. The dude does creature work, and he does it with such a sense of He's very jovial about it all, yeah. But it also has a thematic heft. Mm-hmm. I mean, just watching Colossal, I love. Colossal. And it's one of my favorite movies ever. I think Nacho's sensibilities would play very well into the whole. His might be a little more the Shape of Water route, where it's not as carnal and primal, mm-hmm. and it's more the misunderstood creature from the Black Lagoon mm-hmm. who falls in love in this whole kind of arc. But I think it would also be very, very freaking fun. I am, this is my favorite of the Universal Monsters, Creature from the Black Lagoon. I will have a tattoo one day, and I can't wait to see what that looks like. Awesome. Uh, I chose Nicholas Pest, who I I still stand by, and I think he'd really make quite a stunning-looking feature. Um, But actually, as soon as I read this, I remember this very specifically. Someone said Benson and Moorhead, and I was like, nope, that's actually the correct pick. Like, that's what I would want to see. They would do a very interesting uh, take on it. Again, it ties into what you were saying with the, the sort of, crossed loves who can't quite understand each other. I, I, I want to see that. Also, I just think their um, style would look really stunning in that setting. Yeah, agreed, because they did the whole, not ocean vibe, but, you know, doing spring, they had some water sequences that they were okay there. And then the last one was The Mummy. The Mummy. Um, I love that Benson and Moorhead were picked for, like, every category. Also, Issa Lopez. She showed up in, I think, every nice. single one, too, except this one. Uh, who'd you pick for The Mummy? I went with Mr. Joe Lynch because nice. the dude makes these, you know, you watch his wrong turn, you watch his movies, and they ha- all have an action sensibility. Yeah. They're horror, but especially with something like Mayhem, the action takes over and becomes the focal point in a way in a lot of scenes, and The Mummy needs that. I, the Mummy I like, obviously, is the one with Brendan Fraser, and the adventure is huge, and it's grand, and it's epic. And we haven't really seen Joe Lynch get that kind of uh, pedestal yet. So I think he would be perfect for The Mummy. I think he'd nail that whole adventure-type atmosphere and the way things would go there. And he would just, yeah, go for it. I'm into it. I also, the vibe I was feeling was very, very much the uh, the Brendan Fraser Mummy adventure. Sawyer's, yeah. yeah. And so I picked John Krasinski, who at the time was just coming off of Quiet Place, and I I think that one of the highlights of his filmmaking in there is the way he handles, like, he is probably the best Spielberg imitator we've seen in quite a long time. And I'd say that not with disrespect, but that he's clearly learned from a master and knows how to craft an adventure action scene with thrills and horror laced in. 
And also, I just want to see him and Emily Blunt star in that movie. I was just going to say, let them star in it. I'm in for that adventuring architecture team. Absolutely. That's great. Let it go. Into it. Yeah, I stand by that one, too. Good. We're all so smart. How how often? I know. We should be producers and writers, or we should be getting paid for this. (laughs) We should be getting paid for this. All right. That's it. Your spoiler warning is now. If you have not seen The Invisible Man, get the heck out of here. We're talking spoilers. We're talking all the spoilers. And I mean, from top to finish, the, the ending will be happening. Goodbye. If you have seen it, let's discuss. Um, so this is where I can talk about, like, more in-depth some of my, not concerns, but not even issues. Because I keep going back and forth. I just saw this last night. I'm still really untangling in my mind how I feel a lot about it. But, like, intimate partner violence is something that I am acquainted with, that has been a big part of my life, and that I have very strong feelings about. And... I understand that he's making a monster movie, right? So this man is a monster. But what I don't think translates is that the scariest part about most abusers is that they're not always a monster, is that they are often charming, loving, wonderful people, which is why you stay for so long. And that makes them way scarier than someone who's a straight-up narcissist sociopath, as it's described in the film. Now, a narcissist sociopath can be loving, charming, all these things. That's part of their skill set. But the film never shows that side of him. I was just going to say, so if we're talking about an invisible man that doesn't launch into her story immediately escaping, if we're talking about an invisible man that takes the 10 minutes to maybe do some build-up emotional stuff and build-up character work where you're seeing him, the nice guy, because we only get the nice guy at the end. That's the only time we see him. And we'll talk about the ending later, but so that you're missing that kind of core element is what you're saying a little bit, yes. just a little bit. What I would love to have seen was for them to have like gone out to dinner with their friends before the night she leaves. And you see that version of the character that person might also be that way at home for a while. And you see that and you see why she would have fallen for him in the first place. But then she does something he doesn't like. And then it changes. And then that night she escapes. That I would have liked to have seen to have a more holistic view of what it is like to be in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I, I think the movie's quite good. I do think that I really meant when I said there's no, like the, the hook of making it the invisible man is so inspired because the feeling of being always watched and surveilled is such a part of that scenario when you're stuck in it. I would literally be on a flight, have a beer, come home six hours later, and it would be, why did you drink today? You just It was known. Like everything is so boxed and observed mm-hmm. that you always feel watched to the point that like talking about this now I feel that feeling because I know who that person was and that they probably will watch this and that I'm still being observed. Right. So that is like brilliant, perfect. And I think that part is what makes the movie soar. Yeah. And I I think what you said before about, you know, we're not even calling them issues because I agree. When I walked out of The Invisible Man, I was a little more down on it, I guess I would say, than I was the more I thought about it. The more I thought about it, that's what I started keying into. What I started keying into is what we saw. And, you know, sometimes people review films and they talk about films. They talk about what they didn't see more than they yes. what they saw. And that's an issue because, and, you know, we even fall victim to it a little ourselves. 
So I finally sat down and started thinking about what I did see. And again, going back to the weaponizing blank space and just going back to these aspects of like he gets it so right in the sense that you know the Invisible Man is there just by those audible cues. Just that tease of hearing the mechanical suit – or not even mechanical, the optic suit that he creates. You hear it. You know it's there. Every, like the character knows it's there. Elizabeth Moss. Nobody else believes her. But you get infuriated in a way. Like yeah. as the viewer, you're sitting there going, "Like I'm seeing this. This is right." And you know, I can't. I'm sorry, I'm not seeing it, but we know it's there. And then you think about like reality too, and you think about like is, the things that we don't perceive in our daily lives. That you know, all right, that audible cue makes it easy in the film to see, but all of a sudden you start thinking about like daily life and like, well, shit. Like there's no audible cues in daily life, yeah. but like these things are still there. I I think that this I'm leaping off of that a little bit like in terms of not seeing what is there or not noticing the hints that are there mm-hmm. I thought something that was really well done in the film is that Aldous Hodge's character is a good man by all accounts a wonderful man and he still doesn't he trust still fails her, her enough to to believe what she's saying and I'm not even one of those people who like says wholesale we should believe all women we should listen to all women mm-hmm. um but it, it's important to note that, like, even the best people may not be able to see the signs that are there. They may not be able to notice the small cues. And they it's one of those, like, oh, he's always been great with me, like, that kind of thing. Um, and that's not that character, but I, I do think, like, the, the lack of perception of the small giveaways in these scenarios doesn't condemn a person and i love that they included that in that character in the film who is a wonderful man yeah but fails his friend the 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 one thing for me what i was saying before about the not unbelievability but just kind of the generic beats of the the email being sent to the sister and it being the scathing you know you know elizabeth moss's character didn't write the email it's quite obvious she's not even home when it happens But the email gets sent to her sister, and it's this whole, you know, oh, well, why don't you tell this to my face? And they're immediately at odds. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of not even pushed back against. Like, Elizabeth Moth doesn't even fight it in a way. Um, And, again, maybe she's trained not to fight it at this point. And that's part of her character, and I get that. But that was a little, eh. And then the Aldous Hodge point, his character, when he abandons Elizabeth Moss. When he leaves her home alone, and that's when the first real attack happens. Before that, his daughter is sitting quite far away, so far, so far away from Elizabeth Moss. So far. So that, to like to set the scene stretch. just so quickly, yeah. You have Elizabeth Moss and Storm Reed plays the yeah. daughter, right? Okay, so you have Elizabeth Moss and Storm Reed basically on the other sides of the room, <laughs> sitting talking, and the Invisible Man hits Storm Reed's character, and her immediate reaction is oh, my God, Elizabeth Moss's character hit me, and she starts screaming for her father. And it's like, girl, she wasn't even close. Like, how the jumps in those logic points, that's what I was negatively thrown by. That's the only stuff. Because it serves the moment, but it doesn't serve the larger continuity. That happens also in the ending, which I want to talk about the sister really quick, because holy fuck, what a scene. Fucking insane. I haven't heard a vocal reaction like that from a crowd. And again, not a full crowd, but since Hereditary, like when that knife goes in the air and you know what's about to happen and then it does happen, 
And that's what Lee Winnell does. Oh. He goes against convention. And up until that point, I'm going like, all right, cool. This is just the paranormal riff, blah, 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 blah. Holy fuck. Because yeah. Lee Winnell is going to go for that, and he's going to do that in every movie he does. Yeah. That was incredible. I will also say that though I agree that the lead up to it was a bit um, – Plot servicey over character servicey that the sequence within the house with the paint. Oh, is amazing! Incredible. Yeah, yeah, no. The, when she throws the paint and you see oh. the Invisible Man right, like so, he's not far. You know, so he's good. right there, oh. and you're like, oh god, okay. Yeah, you that feel got my that. biggest jump. That, that got my deep. biggest jump. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that was the biggest jump. The biggest holy shit, where I literally holy shouted, shit. "Holy shit!" was the sister, um, but the biggest jump was by far that he was so close, uh, and that scene is. So elegantly orchestrated to make you think she's doing something stupid. You're like, don't put your head there. Don't do that. He, and everyone, even the people behind me were shouting, he took away the louder, ladder. Not what happened. Nope. Not what happened. I love that. Lee Winnell, again, studies the genre, master of the craft, master student of the craft is what I mean to say. Mm-hmm. This was in um, fourth Insidious, fifth? I don't know. The one where it goes back to um, Lynn Shay's character's past. That's four, right? I think we've only had four. We've only had four. Wow. I think. It's like it's been a part of my life. I was going to say. Um, So then that would be four. But the part, spoiler, if you haven't seen it, sorry, it came out like four years ago. I don't know. Maybe two years ago. Time is meaningless. Um, It's an illusion. (laughs) Uh, When she thinks someone's a ghost. And they stage it like a total ghost scene, but then the woman reaches out and touches her, and it's actually a victim who's been mm-hmm. locked up in the basement. That is same sort of thing. He's crafting, and he didn't direct that, but he wrote it. Yeah, he's he's written a scene playing on your expectations of what you know from genre, and then at the last second, subverting it to make you jump the fuck out of your seat. Yeah, we all thought that ladder was going to be gone. Instead, he was on it, and that's brilliant. Always there. Always watching. And yeah, and the brilliance of the knife scene with the sister, just you're never safe. Never. I mean, the whole point is they go to a public place so they can be like, he can't get us here. And it's like, nah, your abuser's always going to be there yeah. in the back of your mind. You're never getting away from it. That was something I thought, I would say that that scene more than anything captured what I loved about the original film, which I just went back and rewatched and fuck, it holds up. It's so good. Um, but this, he said something like, I, they can't stop me. I could stand by them and laugh at them. And, you know, the, the train crash, I think, is the moment in the original film where you finally go, like, oh, he can literally do anything, anything. with this power. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Ending. 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 Okay, so the when I say I think he, he made the story point in the ending, I mean the stupid thing with the brother was so unnecessary. Absolutely just makes the film longer than it needs to be. Um obfuscate something that should be more of a clear victory, I think. And I don't find that I appreciate what it does to the character making it that vicious in the end instead of an act of self-defense. That said, this is another point where I had to remind myself, this is a monster movie, and um, it has also become a revenge movie at this point. That is clearly an act of revenge for what he did to her sister. Fair enough. My story of abuse is not that story of abuse. Yeah. No one was murdered, and I probably straight up would murder a motherfucker who killed anyone I love. You know, I get that. That's something different now. And I'm not saying that a film has to, like, play to what I've experienced. But I think that it loses universality there. 
then it becomes a different movie. It becomes a revenge film specific to this character and this one experience. And it does, in turn, make her a bit of the monster. Especially since she walks away with the suit. Uh, yeah, I was, I was going to say, I do agree with that. Yeah, she walks away with the suit. It's acknowledged by both remaining characters what she did. And it seems to, you know, the way that Aldous Hodge's character looks at her now. Has altered. He has a moment. It's not what I really wanted from this film as like a survivor of intimate partner violence was the satisfaction of being heard and seen for who you are. But instead, that's not there. And now he sees her in a scary way. And and I think that from what I've read in interviews, he wanted that scene to be like a victory moment. It didn't feel like victory. It doesn't feel like a full forced victory. I'm going to try something here, though. And yeah. tell me if I'm wrong or no, not. No, no, I'm please. just going to try it. Um, I feel like it doesn't matter whether he was or was not the Invisible Man the whole time at the end of it. Because he still has to be held accountable for what happened before that. Sure. I think what that final scene is representing is he won't even come clean on what happened previously. And he assumes the nice guy role once again. And it's that role you were talking about not seeing. Maybe it would have been better if we saw it earlier too. But when she comes home, quote unquote home to him, he's bought her all this food. He's playing right into her hand in a way of like, listen, everything's going to be different. Don't worry about it. But he won't admit he did anything wrong. He won't admit to anything. But he does to her. He says surprise. He says the surprise line, but is yeah. that could that not be a fake out? I'm I not mean, it's, it. it's planted, but to yeah. me, it was more. It's the accountability for everything he did, and that it, he won't confess. He won't confess not only to the Invisible Man, but again, he won't confess to the things he didn't see anything wrong with his actions previously. Yeah. So to me, it's almost more the just general accountability of like this motherfucker won't even acknowledge what drove me to leave in the first place yeah. beyond the Invisible Man stuff. So it's like he did what he did, but he is still on the hook for all of that stuff before, and he did not change. Yeah. He did not change at all. So I like that's the one thing I could see them going for in that method. I get it. I also, though, like, and again, not to make it too personal, but I really do think that what the film initially captures so well is the sense of isolation, um, of making you question your own reality, and in doing so, you are left with only this one person to tell you what's right and what's wrong because you can't trust yourself and they've separated you from everyone you ever trusted before. Um, that final act, she no longer has her sister, and now he's terrified of her, so she's now once again isolated. Alone. Yeah, He kind of won. And that it's a, it's very upsetting to me. Like, that's a fucked up little victory for yeah. him. And again, yeah. And, I mean, that was the victory of the suicide, if it was real. The victory of the suicide was that he's created a scenario where she is still so distraught that maybe she could be creating in his mind whether he's alive or not. Yeah. And, yeah, it plays into that. Like, it's not really a wholesome victory. And so here's here's an interesting question. Yeah. She has the suit now. Yeah. Does she do anything with it? Was the point of that to now go on a spree of her own against – no. Promising young woman style and stuff know, like that. Right? Like that's the thing. That's Have you created her? Has she become a monster in her own right? Has he himself made a, a new monster of sorts? I don't know. I hope not. Um, it seems like. I mean, like that's what it that's seems like. That's the tone it sets. Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, 
again, the ending to me is a little, it's purposely ambiguous. It wants people to have these conversations and maybe that's why it's there. Yeah. Maybe it's done this method because abuse itself is messy and getting over it and things of that nature. Obviously everything that you just said. And I I don't know if there is a clear cut way for any one person and maybe that's what he's trying to show. And, I don't know. It's just, I don't hate the ending. And it's no, me either. Again, like film we're talking me. about a movie we like. Like yeah, we're talking exactly. about a movie we both enjoyed. It's just it's a film that up to that point really had me there with it, and then lost me at the last second in a way that I don't know was intentional. But or maybe it was. Maybe he wanted that character to have a victory in the end. I don't think so, though. I think she was supposed to be the so. victor. Um, and I just, yeah, it's just a tone I'm not in love with for ending that film. Yeah. Um, I do think that the answer to like your question, what happens next fundamentally depends on the box office, like whether we're going to get an answer to that. Uh, if it's huge, I think we'll find out. Um, but as it exists in our minds, I don't know. I mean, like my hope is that she takes that thing and fucking burns it to dust because that's how you win. That's how you escape is you don't play. Why would you take something created by the person who ruined your life? And then go destroy with it. I think she would have done that already. I think that would have been the final showing in The Invisible Man yeah. if she was going to do that. Right. That would have been the power move. I agree. That would have been the full power move that maybe even brings some of the, some of the victory back to her. Yeah. I think her taking it and walking away with it and ending on that shot of her face. Yeah, it says things. Is this uh, the crossover now with new Universal Monsters come out that <laughs> they might have to stop her from killing or That's something? That's interesting. Like, I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. Um, the, thematically questionable, but interesting. hundred percent it is. But right. no, also, right, like um, uh, abusers create abusers, right? Like that's a known thing in psychology. It's the people who abuse the most were probably hurt a lot as kids. Um, so it's interesting. Very interesting. Uh, choices were made. Choices, choices were, made. were made. I'm not in love with the ending, but I do like the film a whole lot. Uh, I, I just... Also want to say thank you for not killing the dog. Oh my god. I was so, so worried about that good boy. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Like, dog is fine. The dog is fine. The dog is fine. I'm glad that they had a little shot of him walking out before her. Yep. Little Zeusy boy getting yep. away. Good bo- good boy got away. <laughs> yeah. All the matter. Oh. I was worried about that dog. We went out wouldn't do that. I know. <laughs> you he never know. He would never he would never do that. Uh yeah. That's a total side note, but I just had to get that. I was thinking about the final shots, and I was like, oh, yeah, Zeus ran away. Yay. That's a parry moment of like, don't worry, the dog is alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, guys, it's fine. I was concerned. Um, anything else you wanted to say about Invisible Man? No, I think we covered everything pretty substantially. Yeah, pretty, good, pretty good stuff. Um, I do want to say before we log off, just because we did touch on some heavy stuff, if you or anyone you know is – stuck in an intimate partner violence scenario get help talk to someone isolation again is the key find your way out of that isolation if you can talk to a professional talk to a friend talk to a helpline if that's all you can do make a plan to leave those things don't tend to get better um if you need somewhere to call you can call the national domestic violence hotline which is 800-977-99 safe um and take care of yourself because that person isn't looking out for you so you're going to need to do it and again, talk to someone. Isolation, very bad. Find someone, talk to them. Don't steal the suit and go kill a bunch of people. 
probably not, not the way forward. Probably don't. Don't do, do, that. do that. Don't do that. Bad, bad. <laughs> Go get a good Zeus. Oh, I'll get a good boy. Yeah. Just live, live happily with a good boy. Um, sorry to end it heavy, but we did talk about heavy stuff, so I wanted to put those resources it's, it's out needed. there. It's needed. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me again. It was again. a pleasure. Always is. Um, this was lots of fun. Thank you for putting together that list. That was a lot of fun to reread through again. It's interesting, yeah, just to think about how it might even change, you know? Yeah. How that would alter. I mean, like, you could tell some of my feelings changed a little yeah, bit. I could hear in your voice. Over the course Inflection of was, a year. Yeah, because, as, again, as these new filmmakers come out of nowhere and start to impress us, it goes like, Oh, but you. Yeah. Oh, this was something um, before we wrap really quick. It's sort of tied to side tangents. My show. What's cool. up? Um, Rose Glass. Now that I've seen St. Maude, I was like, what did she? Oh, trying to place her into something. Yeah. She needs to be. I, I mean, God, keep with the puritanical stuff and keep with the, <laughs> the religious stuff. I mean, that was. Yeah. It's a, we can't talk about that yet. I nope. don't think. Well, I mean, my review I mean, online. I mean, my socials on. I was going to say, yeah, like, you can, but. But, um, yeah, she's. I would love to see her get a bigger project is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think she's on her way to doing that. To, to jump over what you were saying about how, like, new voices will come out and you will want new things. I want her to have um, a, a, a bigger film with, with a, a budget because she's got an eye. Like Mr. Romero. Uh, not similar, but. No, uh, not I, similar I, at all. I see. St. Maude, and in the same way that when I watch Invisible Man, I go, that's an eye that's singular. Yeah. Agreed on that. So, yes. Thank you again. Thank you for watching. Um, where can everyone find you? Read your work. At Donato Bomb on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And my work appears regularly on sites like Slash Film, Bloody Disgusting, and uh, just follow me on social and I'll, I'll whore myself out. I'm, I'm trying to get on my collider more. That's I would love to if I could find the time in the day between my day job and my <laughs> yeah. freelance opportunities. Um, I've never given my letterbox before. I'm inspired. I'm like, I don't have one. <laughs> it's just a, this is a fun way to. I, I never used to, and all of a sudden I started using it more, and people are, are engaging with it more. So I'm like, maybe this letterbox thing ain't this thing the kids are using these days. It's pretty fun. I was just using it as a tracking thing. Yeah, but it is a fun social media. Agreed. Platform. Yeah. So if you uh, if you want, you can find me on Twitter at Haley Fouch, also Haley Fouch on Letterboxd, and Haystack McGroovy on Instagram. And you have officially survived the witching hour. It's that little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.